Hello and welcome to Motorsport Week's F1 podcast series, Motorsport Speak, the show where we discuss about the latest that's happening in the world of Formula One. Tom Kent's your host with Will Knight, LA Wilshaw, and Manena Manatau. We review everything that happened at Istanbul in the Turkish Grand Prix, which saw another different name take to the top step this year. Valtteri Bottas finally ended his winning droughts after dominating the race from pole position and claiming the 10th victory of his career. A strategy mix-up between Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes means that Max Verstappen regains the championship lead by six points with six races to go. Hello, Will. Hello, LA. Hello, Manena. How are we all? Hope you had a good weekend and everything else. Will, we begin with you. It was definitely not cold turkey for Valtteri Bottas this time, unlike it was last year. And um, yeah, I don't think you can complain too much. You know, in a wet race like we saw, he got everything right. He did. Um, and he scored the most points out of anyone since Zandvoort. So it's certainly uh, looking like a much better season for him than the beginning of the season. Quite a lot of people doubting him. He lost the Mercedes drive. He's off to Alfa Romeo next year. So it was really good to see him get back on the top step with Mercedes for what could be the last time. And it's not... Uh, any shock saying that there's only six races remaining that title fight between Hamilton and Verstappen really is sort of getting right in there in terms of the closeness of it so Mercedes could want to implement team orders a bit more to to give Hamilton the points over Max but like you said in the intro the most different winners we've had in quite a long time 2012 we had eight different race winners the famous seven races uh, race winners in the opening seven races and then Kimi Raikkonen and Abu Dhabi so the seasons have quite a lot of parallels between them. Both have an amazing title fight. Both have a lot of race winners. And for all we know, a couple more chaotic races. Charles Leclerc, Lando Norris, they haven't won a race yet. It, it really is looking to be a good season. It's very much looking so. Um, LA, Lewis and Mercedes didn't have the best day together um, in Turkey in the race. You know, Coming through from 11th on the grid after getting a 10-place uh, grid penalty for a change of um, internal combustion engine. Qualified on pole. Had to start 11th, made his way through the field somewhat. It was good to see him go through um, on intermediate tyres. Unfortunately, the DRS was disabled, so he wasn't able to use that to his advantage. But, you know, when it came down to making the right strategy call, it wasn't particularly the best call, was it? No, uh, they, they probably could have been a little bit more insistent on him coming in a little bit earlier. Uh, because something that I noticed myself and was already making notes on was how very difficult it was for pretty much every single driver on that circuit to catch the person in front, uh, you know, if they weren't necessarily that close to them and then to catch them and then to overtake them. You know, there was only sort of a couple of drivers on, on the track yesterday that managed to do really, really sort of exceptionally well. Um, so to me, it was very obvious that to bring anybody in would mean that they wouldn't just be able to catch up really fast and really quickly. So to bring him in at that point was absolutely just ludicrous but saying it's ludicrous this is just an opinion based on what happened because if he'd have caught everybody and ended up you know third on the podium then we'd all be sitting here saying a different thing and saying yeah Mercedes were great yeah great idea um I did uh, listen to Mario Isola's comments afterwards uh, who is uh, the head of Pirelli and he did say that he 
I'm, I'm not saying verbatim here, these weren't his, his exact words, uh, but he was quite opinionated on the fact that they should have all have come in, even Esteban Ocon, uh, because of, you know, what we saw at Baku, what we saw happen to, to the tyres there, that he seemed to sort of maybe have that opinion that that could have happened again, you know, when the tyres, when the rubber's down to the carcass, then it's pretty much going to explode. So he was actually happy with Mercedes' decision that they brought Lewis in, um, and was less happy with Ocon for staying out because he knows the tires, he knows you know what what capabilities they have. So strategy wise and race wise, no, it didn't really work out for Lewis. But accident wise, who knows what might have happened if he hadn't have come in? So, you know, I, I'm sort of more on the safety side, even though I would have really have liked to for Lewis to have finished on the podium. Yeah, um, Minana, um, welcome back. It's been about three months since you were last on the um, the show, um, Turkey. Obviously, with Bottas take, uh, taking victory and Verstappen second, which is important for him because he's now um, back into the championship lead again. And for uh, your compatriot, Checo Perez, being on the podium for Red Bull, the first podium since Paul Ricard. I'm glad you left this part to me. Yes, I'm so happy. I mean, to be honest, Checo has not been performing as good as the world expected for him to do it because he asked for five races, right? And after the fifth race, he got his first podium and everything started going up from there. And then I feel like he started lowering his pace once again. I don't know if the pressure started getting to him or what started happening, but it felt almost as if he was sabotaging himself. Either way, I really had big hopes for him on Turkey because, well, Last season, he also ended up on the podium. So I was really hoping he would repeat that. And Chico, I feel, is a driver that repeats his podiums a lot. He normally does not have new podiums on new circuits, let's say. But the ones that he has had in the past, he normally gets in the present once again. So I'm so happy for him. I really do hope that he continues performing this well. Because if he does, I feel that he could eventually end up on third place on the final driver standings. And who knows, maybe Red Bull can win. I know here it's more of a Mercedes, Lewis, Valtteri fan base, but well, I'm a Red Bull girl this season. So yes, I really do hope that Tickle keeps improving and that he keeps performing the way he did in Turkey, especially since the Mexican Grand Prix is coming soon. So we obviously want to see him on the podium there. I, I agree as well. And, you know, Checo had been on a, a barren run of form before Turkey, actually. I think since, um, I think from Silverstone up until Sochi, I think he achieved as many points as what George Russell had done in that period. So, you know, for Perez to rebound from that uh, with a podium finish, um, not just important for him, but also for Red Bull in their quest for the Constructors' Championship as well as the drivers for, uh, for Max Verstappen. So have a look at the race result then, because Feltri Bottas, including the fastest lap, which he set on the final lap, he went out in the end and took his first victory of the season with Max Verstappen in second place. Sergio Perez was third, followed by Charles Leclerc for Ferrari in fourth, and Lewis Hamilton in a disappointing fifth for Mercedes. Pierre Gasly in the top six again for Alfa Terry. Very good job from him, with Lando Norris in P7, Carlos Sainz eighth from 19th on the grid. Very good, very well done to him. He also got the Joy of the Day award, which you, you may remember that so Rosanna Tennant did a, uh, a radio interview with him whilst he was in the cockpit on his um, on his call down that. Lance Stroll was ninth and S1 Ocon, despite not pitting at all, came home in 10th place and a lap down. 
Antonio Giovinazzi was 11th, followed by Kimi Raikkonen in 12th, Jenny Ricardo in a disappointing 13th position, there's Yuki Tsunoda in 14th, George Russell 15th, Fernando Alonso following the collision with Pierre Gasly at the start, he never really recovered, only 16th for him, Nicholas Latifi is 17th, Sebastian Vettel in 18th after he tried to improve his times on the slicks but didn't work. He came back in for intermediates and only recovered to 18th. Mick Schumacher was 19th and Nikita Maspin 20th. So for the third time this season, all 20 cars making it to the end of the race this year. And the 13th time in Formula 1 history. Well, it's been another brilliant result for... Well, I say it's a brilliant result. It's a win and lose scenario for both Red Bull and Mercedes. Because with Mercedes, okay, Valtteri's won. And he's got the fastest start. Lewis came home in fifth. That includes it. And with Red Bull finishing second and third, they increase the margin in the constructors a little bit. On the downside of it, Lewis has lost the championship lead to Verstappen again. Whereas you look at Red Bull, they'd be happy with their second and third places. And of course, Verstappen being in front of Hamilton in the driver's championship. But they've lost going to Mercedes in the constructors. Well, I mean, realistically, if you take a look at things, the real winner out of all of this is Max. Because obviously he wanted to win. Every driver on the grid wants to win. But he sees Valtteri at the top step and Lewis down in P5. And he just thinks to himself, oh, eight points in the championship. I'd much rather have that than Lewis winning and Valtteri in P5. So I'll, I'll take it. He's leading the championship. Six points is the difference now. The, the fifth time this championship lead has changed. Fantastic to see, as I said, this championship fight. But... I think that the over winner, the overall winner is Max. In terms of the constructors, Mercedes, the overall winners, they've got 36 points uh, in the bag pretty easily, in all fairness, because Bottas did dominate that race. There's no way of saying about it. It was a little bit of a scare in terms of Leclerc, but I never really believed that any driver could, um, could get to the end of the race on, on those tyres, which, in my opinion, is just why Esteban Ocon is one of my drivers of the day. He was fantastic at managing the rubber. So I think... Both are winner, winners and losers, but at the end of the day, the, the real star and fame is the Drivers' Championship. No one looks back and thinks, oh, I remember every Constructors' Championship in the entire history. You can remember the Drivers' Championship, as Sebastian Vettel showed a few months ago. Mm -hmm. LA, uh, would you agree with Will's point there? Verstappen was the real winner out of that. I mean, he's in the Championship lead now by uh, six points over Lewis Hamilton. Um I think you've got to say, you know, despite starting second position on the dirty side of the grid, he wanted to make sure he got into turn one, you know, unscathed. And he did quite so. And I don't think he wants to take too many risks with Valtteri because he knew that he was ahead of Lewis anyway. Yeah, I mean, of course, he was the winner outright because, you know, he finished on the podium and, and maximised his points as much as what he could. But, you know, I think as, as what I said previously, every... I think somebody questioned maybe Red Bull's pace this weekend. Um, I'm not necessarily sure it was their pace. I think it was that circuit, it was that track. Not not many drivers were able to to just do amazing and and you know sort of be notable, except for Carlos Sainz. You know, and and as you say, Ocon managed to kind of keep. He only lost two places, I think, in the end, didn't he, uh, from where he qualified and where he finished. But obviously, Sainz just did remarkably well, uh, getting driver of the day in what he started P19 and finished in P8. But none of the other drivers did. None of the other teams did. I think everyone was really struggling. Um, and if you know Charles hadn't come in. Where would it have finished? We don't know. Um, 
uh, Lance did quite well. Uh, you know, I mean, he he started P9, didn't he? Um, and oh, and P8 and finished P9. That's right. Yeah, finished. Sorry, start again. <laughs> I got that wrong because he gained a place with Lewis dropping back. Um, you know, and he did do quite a nice little move on on Esteban there with five laps to the end. So there were a couple of drivers that actually gained some quite nice points there. You know, there, there was Science, there was Stroll, um, and of course Max. But as I say. It, I think that he coulda, woulda, shoulda have won that race. Um, and I think, you know, like Bottas just seemed to roll over the last race when Max charged along. If Max was charging along this time, I wouldn't have doubted for a second that, that Valtteri wouldn't have put up much of a fight again. Uh, so it's kind of thanks to the circuit, really, that uh, Mercedes managed to get the points for the team. Um, but unfortunately, driver-wise... You know, they they did seem to lose out a little bit, but you know, it's all good. It's all good. Um, I mean, I know I've come across as biased, maybe, um, but as um, uh, you know, maybe it's the British teams. I do love McLaren. I do love Aston Martin. So I was a big Perez Checo fan last season. You know, when when he was with uh, Racing Point. Um, but I'm sometimes you're a driver person and sometimes you're a team person, aren't you? So yeah, so I had to wave goodbye to my support for Checo this season. Hmm. Yeah, of course. Well, well. well I mean, it's still been a good season. I mean, to be honest, I'm a fair neutral. I, even though I am a British fan, I, I still, I still want to see you know all the drivers going at it. And um, I think when you're a neutral, you don't feel as disappointed no matter what happens. Because if you have like a particular favourite driver and he doesn't do as well as you want them to, you do sort of you know end your day feeling rather disappointed. It's a bit like football, really, when your team loses and um, you just feel absolutely down about it and you feel like your weekend's ruined. I'm not quite like that when it comes to Formula One, because I'm a neutral and whatever happens, I won't be feeling too disappointed afterwards. But when it comes to a good race, obviously I feel absolutely over the moon. So that's that's what I think. We'll have a look, at, we'll go to Manena next actually. And um, are you quite baffled the fact that Mercedes did not take more engine penalties than what they did in Turkey? Because going back 10 places with the current rules and with the current cars, it's, it's hard enough as it is, but I'm surprised they didn't sort of replace everything him to go to the back of the grid and then come all the way through and finish in the top five that way you've got fresher um power unit components in the coming races no actually quite the contrary i was quite happy <laughs> with mercedes's situation on the race this is probably not the answer you were expecting i'm not like in favor of any team or in favor of any driver but if you had to ask me if I'm a Team Lewis or a Team Max, I just want to see a new world champion this season. So it's not that I was happy that Mercedes' strategy didn't work, but I was happy that Red Bulls did. So no, I was not baffled. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I want to ask Will this question then, because when I heard the news that Hamilton was going to take a 10-place grid penalty and not a back-of-the-grid penalty, you know, because they only replaced the internal combustion unit. They're only allowed up to three, I believe it is, for the season. The fourth one was, of course, there. Uh, well, one over the limit. Your view on this, Will, because I, I'm still quite, I'm quite baffled they didn't take the whole lot. I mean, it depends on the way you look at it, because Toto Wolf has come out and said that they believe every other part uh, has enough mileage to go till the end of the season obviously Mercedes have said these things before they said in Monaco for example they weren't going to develop the car for the rest of the season then they bring up a massive development package for Silverstone which they've been working on so 
no team you can really look at and think, oh, they're telling the truth. I might as well believe them because that's just not how Formula One works. On the other hand, if Hamilton has a part like his control electronics, his turbocharger, one of those fails, he does not have another one which would be better than just taking a new one. So I think Red Bull have possibly outplayed Mercedes in this game of tic-tac-toe of where where to take their engine penalties and, and where not to. Because whilst Red Bull have got this fresh power unit, this fresh Honda power unit, brand new, upped in power, Mercedes, on the other hand, might be tiptoeing a bit because Lewis, he's got more worn parts than Max. With the, with the new internal combustion engine, I know Christian Horner has been particularly um, outspoken regarding Hamilton's power uh, during that race. Uh, and I know that Red Bull are looking into it and Honda are looking into it. So I think if you take a look at it on one hand, Mercedes have done the good thing. They only demoted Hamilton 10 places because they only believe he needed to be demoted 10 places. On the other hand, it could leave some doubt in their minds for the rest of the season in terms of what comes. For all we know, Mexico, very high altitude circuit, very prone for engine failures. Lewis goes in Mexico. There's three races after Mexico, and he will be at a massive disadvantage if he loses 25 points to Max there. Yeah, and I said this to someone on Twitter, Mercedes simply cannot risk any reliability issues um, in the coming races. I mean, not to mention Malaysia 2016 LA. Sorry, that was quick. <laughs> Sorry. I probably should have said your name first and then carried on the sentence and give you more time before you were uh, <laughs> unmuted your mic. Go on. George, <laughs> um, no, remind me of uh, Malaysia. 2016. Yeah, uh, the engine failure that Lewis had, uh, which effectively cost him the championship because he was in the lead in that one, wasn't he, when he was fighting for the championship with Nico Rosberg? Uh, I actually don't recall that race. I was um, recovering from surgery. Uh, so, oh, right, yeah, right. no, heads up. I could have done a bit of research for that. Yeah. but uh, no, It's all right. Well, what um, I was going to say was, and this is just sort of supporting what Will has said about, um, you know, the reliability thing. Because he mentioned about um, a circuit like, the Autodrome Hermanos Rodriguez in Mexico City that has high altitude, um, which obviously takes its toll on the engine, um, which I think as a track as that one, that should favour Red Bull more. But the one before that is in Austin, which I think is going to be pretty much neck and neck with Mercedes. But what I was saying is reliability issues. You cannot afford to have any of that now at this stage of the campaign, given how worn a lot of these power units have been during the course of these last 16 rounds. Yeah, well, absolutely, because, you know, any kind of failures at, at this point, it's, you're not going to be able to claim the points back, are you? And then that's when the pressure will start showing. And then that's when we'll see uh, the, the type of person and character that he is as, as the world champion that he is today. Um, and sometimes in the past, the pressure has been too much, um, you know, and, and he's conceded. And sometimes in the past, he's absolutely risen to the occasions and shown us exactly why he's a seven times world champion. And, and I think that um, for these kind of occasions, it's really great as, as fans and viewers to watch these pressures creep in. 
um, because then we see the human side too, you know, and then that's when we can relate to these people because otherwise, how do we relate to them? <laughs> you know, we don't. Um, and and that, those are where the stories come and those are where the, the try. you know, when you use all these great, you know, um, descriptions of words of why someone's a legend, why someone's a goat, why somebody's a champion, you know, these situations prove exactly why these people continue to be winners uh, in their elite sport. So I think as fans, it's going to be quite an exciting end if they do start getting more reliability issues, because we'll see exactly what kind of a man he really is and can he get that eight-time championship. Um, and, and I do agree. I mean, I am a fan of Lewis and it's just amazing as a fan to get eight championships. But um, even as a curious Formula One fan, I think to see somebody get achieve that record, you know, all by himself, uh, he'll be in an elite group all on his own how many years will it take for somebody to be able to match that as a Formula One fan it's just great isn't it but I'm really looking forward to, to Mexico I mean I, I love Mexico I love it as a country anyway you know and I love Mexico City and uh, you know I can't wait for this race mm -hmm. and so Mexico the next race but one as we are going to Austin well, Austin, I mean, Austin speaks for itself. I mean, I'd be, I'd be, in, I'd live in Austin now if I could, if I was allowed. Austin's one of the most amazing cities on this planet. It really is. And this is coming from someone who's been to a lot of cities on this planet. So if anyone can get to a Grand Prix in Austin, you must go. If you can only get to one a year, go to Austin. Nice. That, that's very good advice of you there, um, LA. I mean, it's any dream. To, it's a dream to go to any Grand Prix, if I'm honest with you, not just Austin. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a good location for a Grand Prix in Austin. We can't wait to go back there. And of course, it'll be the first race outside of Europe and the Middle East since, uh, well, Austin 2019. That was the venue where Lewis Hamilton clinched the sixth of his seven world championships. But we cannot wait to go back to North America. It's been a long time since uh, Formula last went there. So I'm um, looking forward to that one. Let's have a look at the championship standings then after the 16th round of the season, six races to go. Max Verstappen has a six point lead over Lewis Hamilton, 262 and a half, playing 256 and a half. Then it's Felci Bottas who keeps hold of his third place. He extends his margin over London Norris and Sergio Perez. He's on 177 points. So London Norris, who's in fourth on 145, and Sergio Perez in fifth on 135. And it's Carlos Sainz in sixth on 116 and a half, but it's only half a point ahead of his teammate Charles Leclerc on 116. Gianni Ricardo in eighth on 95, Pierre Gasly in ninth on 74, and Fernando Alonso staying in tenth on 58. Esteban Ocon in 11th on 46, and Sebastian Vettel in 12th on 35. He's only finished in the points once in the last nine races as Sebastian Vettel, that's not a very good run for him. Lance Shaw is 13th on 26, then it's Yuki Sinner in 14th on 18, George Russell in 15th with 16, Nicholas Latifi in 16th with 7, then it's Kim Raikkonen in 17 with 6, and Tony Giovinazzi has one point in 18th. Mick Schumacher, Robert Kvitsa and Nikita Mazepin have yet to score a point this year. In the constructors, Mercedes extend their margin slightly over Red Bull. The gap is currently 36 points, 433 and a half playing 397 and a half. Then it's McLaren in third on 240. There are seven and a half points clear of their rivals Ferrari, 240 playing 232 and a half. Alpine are in fifth on 104. AlphaTauri are only 12 points behind them in sixth on 92. Then it's Aston Martin in seventh on 61. Williams in eighth on 23. Alfa Romeo in ninth with seven and has still yet to score a point in 2021. So the championship, very hot, very much hotting up, Will. I'll go to Manena first, actually. The championship with Verstappen, six points ahead of Lewis with the championship as it stands. And in 
obviously Perez closing in on Norris in the battle for fourth or third even, but um, Bottas has pulled away from those guys. You know, there's so many things to say about this. I do think Bottas will end up in third because now that he announced, you know, his retirement from Mercedes, let's say, moving on to a different team, I feel he's finally proving to the world the type of driver he's capable of being. Like, I remember he would always say how he was a second driver and it was so frustrating being Lewis's teammate and this and that. And I always thought to myself, like, I, I'm not really one to judge, but I always thought it's not that it's hard to be Lewis's teammate. It's just that you're not as good as a driver. But now that I feel like he's kind of rebelling himself with his own team. Like the way he doesn't pit in the boxes when the team tells him to, and the way he's just not defending Lewis anymore, he's actually driving for himself. I'm like, kudos to Valtteri. If he would have driven this well since he joined Mercedes and rebelled from the team since the very beginning, who knows? I mean, maybe Valtteri could have actually once I'm saying maybe, you know, he could have actually won that world championship he so desperately wants. Unfortunately, he's not going to be able to perform the same in Alfa Romeo, but I mean, I don't know. We'll see what happens in the future. He might return to a big league team eventually. I don't know. And in the case of Max, I remember at the end of previous season, I filmed my predictions video I didn't want the new season to start and kind of have like an advantage as to how the drivers were performing. And I remember saying that Max Verstappen was going to be the world champion for 2021. Oh my gosh, the amount of hate I got. Literally people were calling me names and telling me, you're so stupid. You're so dumb. How can you say this from a seven time world champion? He's obviously going to win again. And then you have this so immature and aggressive he's definitely not winning now I'm like who was right I mean I still think Max Verstappen will take the championship this season and it's gonna be tight you know like 2016 but I mean it wasn't so naive for me to say that Max Verstappen was gonna win because if Turkey was the last race he would have been world champion already so We'll just have to wait to see what happens. Uh, we were talking about Mexico earlier, and I'm so excited to see if Lewis or Max will actually win that race or if a new driver, because both of them have won twice already since Mexico came back to the calendar. So yeah. I'm like, I hope things get spicy there. Yeah, of course. And uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. And uh, it, could, it, it could even be Checo Perez who wins that one. I'm sure Red Bull. You know that. what? I'm going to interrupt you right there. Sorry, Tom. I do think Red Bull would do anything they can to make Chico win because it's probably going to be from the only times of his life that he can actually win in his home country. But I think that Max would have to be way too ahead of Lewis in the championship so that Red Bull would actually support Chico winning in Mexico. So so if Chico was leading and Verstappen was second on the last lap, that you could don't... also happen. Yeah. I think that could also happen because it would be only like, what, seven points or something like that? Yeah, yeah it's a I big jump. Lewis would have to be third or lower so that Red Bull will go like, yes, Checo, you can win. <laughs> well, no, because if Verstappen is second behind Perez in the race, then Red Bull want Verstappen to be ahead of Perez. 
Of course, of course. But maybe Red Bull is going to be nice, you know, have like a warm heart because Checo is being the second driver they kind of always wanted to. It's not like Avon or like Pierre Gasly that they wanted to be at the same level as Max. Checo is like, no, I mean, I'm defending Max. I feel he's like grateful to be in such a big team. So, yeah. We'll see how um, the race in Mexico goes. I mean, that's not until um, November when that um, race has been um, held up. Um, Will, in the championship now, it's, it's a six-point fight between Lewis and Max. I mean, the, the leadership just keeps chopping and changing, a bit like um, in the Premier League at the moment, where it's just always like a different leader, different leading team every week. Um, in, other, in other fights, between the Ferrari drivers, half a point in it now. This is almost like Lauder and Prost in 84 for McLaren. Well, I, I mean, a bit of a, not not an exclusive, but I actually wrote a piece um, probably about three hours ago on why Sainz is the perfect man for Ferrari, um, just from his performance over the Turkish Grand Prix weekend. And that is one of the, the sort of points that I highlighted is the fact that he is working so well with Charles Leclerc. Obviously, the past two seasons, Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc had moments, I think was the, um, the, the best way of describing it. Uh, they didn't exactly... Um, they weren't clean 100% of the time when fighting each other, but Leclerc and, Leclerc and Sainz have the respect. Um, Sainz knew, for example, in qualifying, there's no point in going out. Uh, there's, I'm starting at the back of the grid. Yet he went out on track. He gave Leclerc the slipstream, uh, and ultimately that got him into Q3 and secured him a P3 finish. These two really are, in my opinion anyway, the duo which are going to prevent Mick Schumacher from going to Ferrari because they are just so well working together. They are fast they're quick they're young ferrari has a good future lineup in both of them and this fight between them the fact that they're only half a point difference obviously yeah leclerc's been having reliability issues and science has been much more consistent than leclerc in terms of his finishing results but i think it just shows how on par the two of them are with each other you know half a point we don't see that very often in formula one i think the last season we saw half points awarded was 2009 so we only get to see this once every few years, if that. And it's really good to see Ferrari. And I must admit, as a, as a child, um, you look at Ferrari uh, as a young Formula One fan. You, I grew up in the Schumacher years, uh, right at the end of them, but I grew up in the Schumacher years. And seeing Ferrari back um, in after a few years of, of being down there, it's good to see that a team with such historic prowess is still there because that is really what gets Formula One its marketing. And the fact that they've got this fight of just half a point really is just emphasising that. Of course, that result has um, helped Ferrari close in on McLaren in the Constructors LA. Uh, seven points is, or seven and a half points, I should say, is the gap going into Austin. And I'd imagine a lot of the fan base in the US, because there's a lot of Ferrari fans in the US, I'll tell you that now. They're going to be gunning for Charles and Carlos to, um, to put on as good of a show. I'm hoping it'll be a dry race, because I'm, I'm kind of hoping we don't get a repeat of circuit where the water's just basically sat on the surface and not evaporating. A dry race would do for me in Austin. Yeah, definitely do for me as well, because uh, it's such a glorious circuit. And and I think that, you know, even the, the tarmac and the, the rubber on that tarmac uh, is the, the cars perform so much better when the circuit's hot. You know, when I think it was I think it was back in late latter 2016 
um, when um, I, I was there that weekend and the weather, the, the sky was the bluest, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And then when you've watched, you know, consecutive years when, when the weather hasn't been good, uh, then, it, you know, the racing isn't as good. Um, what, what I sort of really love is, is kind of like a bit of a sort of a reverse psychology about um, the pole position and being which is really the correct side of the track to be on because whoever starts in P2 always seems to get to the top of that hill you know on the first corner and I don't know if any of you have been or you know anyone that's watching or listening has been but you can't actually believe how steep that first hill is until you're either walking up it or sort of the top of it is incredibly steep so when those cars come up that hill it's just the most amazing feeling um but I, you know I, I love the circuit I love Austin and what I really love is the Ferraris are coming back um I, I've never been the hugest fan of Ferrari but I am a big fan of Charles Leclerc and I am a, a big fan of Carlos as well Carlos Sainz so I'm really loving their partnership now they seem to be uh, very good I'm not saying friends like mates but they seem to have a really good relationship off the track as well uh, as do you know other other teams you know like Ricardo and uh, Norris Norris and Sainz and I know that some people have an opinion that you all just shouldn't be busy mates and you know have love fests every week you know you should be sort of rivals and you know maybe be angry and hate each other but I think we've seen over the years that that kind of bitter rivalry um it just doesn't bode well to me personally for, for watching the races and for racing. I don't like that. I think you can still be rivals, even if you're mates, you know, because you grow up in school like that, you know, competitive and sports days and different teams and different houses, you know, when you're at school. And I really, I think that these teams, some of the cars aren't necessarily up to par yet, but I think the relationship that you have with Norris Ricardo at McLaren, maybe that's what's spurring things on and spurring these drivers on. You know, it's what's going on in the background as well, not just what's going on on the circuit. So um, I'm, I'm just loving the fact that it sort of seems to be, is it Ferrari that's better or is it McLaren that's better? And they seem to be pretty much on a par at the moment of, they've not got the greatest cars by any means. But, but where are they both going to finish? Where are all those four drivers going to finish as well within each other? And where are the two teams going to finish? And it's going to be like last season, I think, where they're all scrapping it out until the final race weekend. You know, who's going to finish fourth? Third, third and fourth. I mean, we've got a run of races, you know, Austin, Mexico City, um, Interlagos, Qatar as well, the Sail International Circuit, Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, and the revised Yas Marina Circuit in Abu Dhabi. That, I mean, it's going to make for a nail-biting finale, that's for, that's for sure. Let's go on to some news, guys. We begin with Imola as they move closer to a new four-year F1 agreement. So Emilia-Romagna, that's the region where Imola is based up, Emilia-Romagna's government says it has acquired the necessary funding and approval in order for Imola to host Formula 1 rounds through 2025. Imola returns to Formula 1's calendar in late 2020, ostensibly as a one-off event. 14 years after the circuit last hosted a round of the championship. Imola previously held a Formula 1 event annually from 1980 when it was known as the Italian Grand Prix that year and then through from 1981 to 2006 under the title of the San Marino Grand Prix. 
The event under the new name of the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix was added to the 2021 calendar in a revised April slots in the wake of several other rounds being postponed or cancelled. Emilia-Romagna's government had been eager for Imola to retain a position on the calendar and negotiations have been ongoing for several months. The regional government has now received approval from Italy's national government over a funding package to facilitate the event's return. It is outlined that from an annual commitment of 20 million euros, 12 million will come from the national government, 5 million from the regional authorities, along with 2 million from a private company and 1 million from the Automobile Club d'Italia. It means that the ACI now has the mandate to finalise terms with Formula One over a four-year agreement. We are now one step away from a historic milestone and after the decisive step taken by the government, we can finally announce it, said Stefano Bonaccini, the president of Emilia-Romagna. After the last two experimental editions of the race, now the Grand Prix at Imola can really become a regular appointment again. Italy's national Grand Prix held at Monza holds a deal to host Formula One through 2025. Well, it's good news, Will, you know, with Imola hosting a Formula One race this year and last, albeit behind closed doors. Well, now it's got an opportunity to have fans should this deal go through. Um, Imola is just sort of one of those circuits. I, I, I must admit, um, old, older circuits um, like Imola and obviously not as old as Imola, but like Turkey, I'm, I'm just a bit of a sucker for them, to be honest. I absolutely love um, circuits like that because, in all honesty, um, nostalgia, really. And, and I tried my best to make sure that nostalgia doesn't get in the way. But the the fight between Fernando Alonso and, and Michael Schumacher, um, one of those battles which really emphasised you don't need constant overtaking in Formula One to make it a good battle. So the suspense is enough. And I think so many fans, in a modern sense, expect too much um they expect constant overtaking 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 when realistically it's uh i i this is going to be a lot more philosophical than someone who's talking about formula one should say i think it was agatha christie who turned around and said that the, the thrill is in the chase and never the catch something along those lines that's what i believe formula one should be and imola is one of those circuits which really emphasizes that it's more about the racing and the suspense of racing, and yeah, there's overtaking, there's there's drama. Max Verstappen in 2020 having his his tire explode just as he got past Valtteri Bottas, and four years I think is good because that gives the the circuit time to experiment possibly with different formats, especially next year. Eight sprint races could be one of them, but also just to make sure that the new cars fit the circuit and to make sure that Formula One is exciting around that. And if it's not exciting, it shouldn't be on the calendar. Manana, um, I don't know if you're a fan of the old school circuits, but Imla is close to agreeing a four-year deal. Um, would you be happy if it was on the calendar? I think I'm going to have to disagree with Will. Not so much, actually. I'm a fan of Italian circuits, but this season, I think it's been one of the most boring races, to be honest. And I love Monza, for example. Something exciting always happens in Monza. But... I mean, I'm not opposed. I love Italian circuits. So like Will said, let's give it a chance. Let's see what happens. And who knows? I might change my mind eventually. Yeah. Um, LA, your take on the Imola situation. Obviously, it's good news for Ferrari fans. You know, we're potentially going to have two races um, in Italy for the next four years. And, 
you know, I for one, you know, Imola is one of my favourite circuits, um, partly because I'm a video game fan and obviously on the current Formula One game, Imola is going to be released very, very soon. So I can't wait to, uh, to race on that. But you're safe on the deal. Uh, yeah, it'd be great for Italy and Italian fans. Um, but there's part of me that kind of feels like I feel like we are going to be going backwards, going to those kind of old school circuits. You know, I, I'm really excited for what the, the future circuits have to offer, including what Zanvoort just offered, you know, even with that that uh, banking, the you know, the angle banking and kind of reminded me more of a, a karting track, you know, very, very quick, very short, very exciting. And I don't want too many old school circuits on the calendar anymore. You know, I I my era was just the old school racetracks. So I want something new and exciting. Um, you know, the, to, to me as well, even though, even though you shouldn't dwell, you know, you shouldn't be sad, you shouldn't remember bad things but my memory you know takes me back to May 1994 and that's what as soon as I hear the word Imola that's the first thought that always comes into my head um so I don't know I've I've kind of enjoyed the breather in a way because it just has very sad memories for me so I know it's not the circuit's fault it's not Italy's fault you know it's nobody's fault um but I would really like to see if they just maybe tore up that whole track and just did something very, very different with it, put a hill in there, you know, like even like Porto Mayo and some banks on it, do something very different if you're going to do it. So, you know, it's still, it's got old school memories. It's got old school fans. And I know Ferrari, I know they have a massive fan base. Of course they do all over the world, but I think that their, their fan base isn't perhaps as big as what it used to be. And it will, you know, be good for them to try and build that, that back up again, the Tafosi back up again, because they don't go around in droves around the world the way they used to do. You know, you've got Max at the moment and, and his army of fans. Um, sharing it with McLaren, of course, <laughs> but uh, and Lando fans. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. But I mean, if it's going to come back, I want to see it very different. I I, I know they changed that corner, obviously after '94, but it's still too too similar to me. It's still too reminiscent for me personally. I don't want to see that that part of the circuit. I want it to be different, and you know, for racing to to be different there. Yeah, well, my take on the Imola circuit to argue against what you've said there, saying that, you know, they should add a hill there. Well, there's already hills. I mean, I love seeing the cars going through Aquamilarali, where the car is downhill. When it gets to the apex, it goes back uphill again. It's almost like dipping underneath the target from the, on the tarmac, I should say, from the um, viewpoint of the camera of Aquamilarali. And that just feels so satisfying for me to watch. I think with the Varianti Alta, they obviously changed that in 2006 as like a, a more of a right left chicane as well because it looks more where you can just ride the curbs as you like using it as a race in mind if you know what I mean so you know they changed that for 2006 and obviously it came off the calendar then and then brought back last year but the exciting thing for me is that Imola being hosting Formula One races again for the foreseeable future is having fans there and we love seeing the Tifosi sort of coming out with their Ferrari flags and cheers when cars are coming out of the toast of hairpin. I want to see that. So I'm happy with Imola as it is. Because if you're just going to make changes for the sake of improving racing, you're taking away some of the history that's already been there. 
That's yeah, I, mean, I don't want to take away the history of it. That's what I think one of my final comments was, you know, I, I want to maintain the history, but um, I still feel like we're going backwards a little bit, you know, with this kind of just old school track that's, you know, leafy green, lots of trees. Um, you know, we've, all, we've already got Austria, we've already got Spa, you know, we've, I don't know, just do something different. Well, we've got Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Go on, you. We'll start with um, Will with this one. Um, Will, you had um, something to say. I don't want to like start a, a major debate or something, but I understand your reasoning behind May 1994. It's a, uh, I think that was the, um, fortunately, the one race my dad couldn't watch. Uh, the the only Formula One race he's, he hasn't watched um, since he's since he can remember. But it's just a question. Does that mean we should get rid of Suzuka? Um, 2014 obviously she'll be Yankee um he passed away because of an incident he had there um and it's I, I don't it's just sort of one of those those questions is should we always dwell on on the negative side of circuits when we look at the the history of them yeah I think that's what I said like I don't want to dwell on it I don't want to dwell on the past just but just for me personally whenever I hear the name Imola that's my first thought and and the and maybe that's just grief. I don't know um, that 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 is always going to remain with me because of you know I I was watching it. You know I was watching it live and um, it whoever whoever I'm not saying you know people are younger, lots of younger fans that that obviously weren't. So I'm not sort of saying this from a What's the word I'm looking for? Not hierarchical point of view. Um, I don't know. It's just it just I just feel like I would like to not be re reminded. Maybe have something different um, about the circuit that is different from from those memories. Because I know that that everybody does. Every time they go, every year they go. You know, the people that watched it, whether live or whether on television, um, and it's just a personal thing. That's all, you know, it just reminds me personally of that day. So if we're going to go back there repetitively, not just as a bit of a backup race, then I think I would like to see something different happen with the circuit and to, to feel like it's a, a different race. Manana, you were going to say something as well. Oh, no, I just said Saudi Arabia when LA said that she wanted new circuits. What's newer than that? Yeah, that's gonna well, be controversial, I think. Yeah, well, we've got Qatar as well to throw in there, so that's two more new circuits. And of course, next year we've got Miami that's been added. Um, and the year after, we're going to the Agora Drive Raceway, and who knows, we could be going to South Africa again. Um, and all of that will obviously stack up the schedule, which is one of the sort of talking points at the moment in terms of you know, are 23 plus races too many in a season for Formula One? Uh, but well, that's to do a pod on Miami and our thoughts on it um because I, 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 I feel I don't know if I feel a bit disappointed that they sort of had a bit of an original plan of where the race circuit was going to be and it was going to be more of a street circuit and it was going to go um over on um sort of one of the little islands on Biscayne Bay and back across Causeway and it was going to go through the city across some of the bridges um and, and I remember I think it must have been the Red Bulls and it might have been Danny Rick maybe was part of the campaign at one point um and he was driving they were driving around the city and it just looked so exciting it almost looked like you know Singapore let's make it a night race let's do it over all the bridges and the causeways of 
Miami and then the next minute it's sort of at this stadium and around I know they're still calling it a street circuit but it's in a different location to that initial concept so I still think oh I mean Miami's fabulous and Biscayne Bay is just so beautiful and it's like oh why can't it be there (laughs) yeah I think that's the point of the Miami uh, Grand Prix it's kind of like the Mexican one it's not really the most interesting circuits, but it's because of the party, you know? It's gonna drive people to go there. I think that's like the main highlight. Who knows? I mean, Miami could win the Grand Prix of the season next season because of the party, you know? It's gonna be full of DJs and it's gonna be another music festival. I think it's gonna be awesome. Well, we've got less than seven months to wait until um, Miami because they begin their um, events in May. So it'll be before um, Spain and Monaco. So that's another one to look forward to coming into next year, as well as Imola, because I think at the moment, seeing from sources which I won't name, um, it could be replacing the Chinese Grand Prix because I've seen a source saying that they could be facing a third year, so a third absence, well, an absence for the third straight year is what I was meant to be saying. But, you know, who knows? But we'll get to find out the calendar on Friday because there's the World Motorsport Council meeting um, for that. So Friday the 15th of October that is. So more on that. And of course, when that does involve, we'll make sure we'll cover it next week. In other news, um, Alfa Romeo are to decide on their second driver for 2022 in a couple of weeks. So Alfa Romeo says it's only a couple of weeks away from deciding who will partner Valtteri Bottas at the team in 2022. The Italian outfit is the sole remaining team to formally announce its full lineup for next year. Bottas has been signed from Mercedes to replace the outgoing Kimi Raikkonen, who opted to retire at the end of the current campaign. Formula 2 Championship contender Guan Yu Zhou is believed to be the favourite for the second seat, which would see current occupant Antonio Giovinazzi leave the outfit after three years. Alfa Romeo team boss Frederic Vassiot recently stated it was considering five or six drivers for next year and now affirms that a decision is only a matter of weeks from being made. We are not in a rush to take a decision. We have a couple of options on the table and have to take time to decide, Vassil said. We are not in a rush. The situation won't change over the next couple of days and we'll take a decision soon. We are discussing with all the parties involved. It is not an easy choice as we are at the beginning of the new regulations. It's a new journey for the F1 and we have to consider all the points. It made sense for us to look at the last events of the F2, Monza and Sochi and okay, now the situation is like this and we'll take a decision in the next couple of weeks. Alfa Romeo currently sit ninth in the constructor standings with six races remaining in the 2021 season. So it's just a matter of time, LA, um, before Alfa Romeo do decide on their lineup. Um, now there is a difference between who you'd want in there and who you realistically think is going to be in the seats. What's your heart saying and what's your head saying? Um, <laughs> my heart's saying push air, but he's not, he's not ready yet. Um, no, uh, and even Piastri, but my head's saying Joe, you know, Guan Yu Joe. Um, I mean, there has been a couple of rumours about uh, an American maybe possibly coming into the team, um, but I'm not so sure about that yet. Uh, I, I kind of have an inkling they might, you know, they've already signed Joe and um, they, they, you know, for various sponsorship reasons, whatnot, then can't be announced. Well, that's not an exclusive. That's not something that somebody's actually called me up and told me. Um, you know, that's just what your instincts tell you. Uh, you know, as, as a fan, and you know, most of you know that I'm a, I'm heavily into uh, in volunteering in positions that are in Formula Two. Um, yeah, I think that 
I think they're just trying to iron out the creases, maybe, you know, with Joe's wishes to stay in Formula One, sort of have a guaranteed seat for two or three years. And there was a, a rumour at one point that they didn't want to sign a driver for that long. Uh, so it made sense that maybe they should look at the Formula Two champion um, because of the politics of what's happened in Formula 2 this season and the disappointments that's kind of come out of the format of Formula 2, that I'm not sure if they sort of feel like they owe Formula 2 something back, you know, owe them a bit of a favour. So if Piastri was to win the championship, which it kind of looks like it, it is heading that way, where does he go? What does he do? We don't want to lose this young, young guy. You know, we're not going to lose him completely, still go to Formula E, but... You know, I, I kind of feel like Formula One, uh, the, the powers that be, owe Formula Two, um, the champion, a Formula One drive next season. So if it's Piastri, then put him in the car. But there's complications over Alpine and there's complications over, you know, the fact that he's with a young driver academy there. But does it have to be that complicated? really you know <laughs> I don't know um but then I heard I just read something I can't remember if it was today or yesterday that um they they want to drive now for two or three years so that puts Joe back in the seat yeah uh, and with the way Alfa Romeo are going about their business obviously signing Baltas is um is a major major plus but having a rookie alongside him you know I think will only help um Manana, your point of view on the Alfa Romeo seats who do you reckon is going to be in there because it looks so Joe is the favourites but is he going to be in the car by the time Formula 1 does get underway in Bahrain in March I mean well if I have to say with my mind and my heart my heart says Giovinazzi I don't know I'm so used to seeing him in Alfa Romeo but I do think Joe is going to make it to Formula 1 I mean what LA said about the whole you know contract extension and it being so long or it was you Tom I don't really remember that does make a lot of sense, especially in a team like Alfa Romeo. Like, why would you want to have somebody for so long? But Formula One does move a lot around money and though, well, in my opinion, make it to the team. As LA said, I mean, you said it was only a superstition, but we know how the Formula One works. Drivers know where they're going a long time before they're announced. So. I do think Giovinazzi knows in his heart that he's leaving and Zoe is acting like all these types of like confident. So I do think he might be joining Formula One next season and it'd be good for diversity. You know, we'd have more than one Asian. I mean, we have so many Europeans, we have so little Americans, so little Latins. So, li and by Americans, I mean from the continent, not from the U S yeah, that it'd be nice to have, you know, more, Asians, like more people from different countries. I want to see diversity in Formula One. It's always been the Europeans, you know? So yeah, I do think he has a big chance of making it to F1. Maybe they'd have to like, you know, polish up the contract or something, but he has big possibilities. So yeah. he'll be the first Chinese driver, won't he? So. Yeah, it's a race in Formula One, yeah. Marching Qua has done a practice session for HRT and catering, but he's never actually raced in Formula One. So yeah, it should Zhou be signed on by Alfa Romeo, who will become the first ever Chinese driver to race in Formula One. Um, well, um, it's a matter of time now, isn't it? Um, and Zhou could become a Chinese, could become a, a, a the first ever Chinese Formula One driver as well, as uh, it's meant to be saying. Um, is that the right choice for Alfa Romeo to go down, though? Because there is some complications going on with it. I mean, it depends on the way you look at it. Um, 
obviously Joe is offering $30 million uh, if, if reports are to be believed. Um, that's in terms of the budget cap, 140. That's almost a quarter of Alfa Romeo's budget sorted just from one guy. Um, obviously, you've got Andretti, uh, which we'll talk about later, um, coming in to uh, possibly sort of relieve some of the, uh, the the tensions in terms of their finances. But my personal opinion on Formula One drivers has always been um, diversity should always be a factor, but not at the um, expense of talent. Um, my personal opinion is you're white and you're fast or you're uh, African-American, you're fast. It doesn't matter. That, that shouldn't be the fact that it should be the fact that you're fast. Lewis Hamilton is not one of the greatest of all times because he has a different skin colour to Sebastian Vettel, Fernando Alonso. He is the greatest of all time because he knows how to drive a Formula One car. My personal opinion, it's a real shame to see the fact that Oscar Piastri, the man who has dominated Formula Two this year in his, his first ever season, he won Formula Three, he won Formula Two. Charles Leclerc and George Russell, the only people to do that. It, it's just a real shame that such a talent, Australian as well, we've only got one Australian on the grid. It could open up Formula One to a new market of fans in terms of a youthful Australian. Obviously, fans are used to Daniel Ricciardo at this point, but they might need a breath of fresh air. And this young, talented, happy, smiley kid is perfect for that. He's, he's like a mini Daniel Ricciardo. He's got the personality. He's got the skill. My personal opinion, their best option, possibly, um, if I was Frederick Vassar, obviously I'm not Frederick Vassar, I have no idea how their finances are right now. I know that they very, very nearly went down under during the pandemic. But if I was Vassar, I would take Piastri for a year, see what happens with Alonso, see if he stays. If Alonso leaves, perfect. Put Piastri over there. We can have Porcher, we can have this talent that we've developed and possibly another Formula 2 world champion coming to our team. On the other hand, you pick Guan Yu Zhou, you've got someone there, bring in $30 million, yeah, for sure. But Porcher's out, Piastri's out, all of these different drivers who you could have for such a long time for a bit of cash, you know? And if they just wait a couple of years, Andretti, if we're to believe coming in, that really could give them a hand in terms of their finances. So if, personally, if it was me, I would go with Oscar Piastri. It would be a shame to see the Chinese market once again overdone by Formula One. Then again, we're probably not going to China next year. Next year, let's face it, China's probably on Formula One's blacklist at the moment in terms of places to go as the pandemic uh, continues and, and as different things happen. So Piastri, in my personal opinion, is the ideal candidate. But for all, know, for all we know, Piastri could win every single race for the rest of the season. Piastri could DNF in every single one. And they get a combination of Chinese driver, F2 candidate, $30 million. It, it would be a perfect opportunity for them. But I doubt that's going to happen, to be honest with you. Most certainly. Yeah, I think that's probably why they're going to be, they're just eking it out and waiting, you know, and, and that's been the problem with the format of Formula 2 this season because we, we're not close enough to know who's actually going to win that championship yet. Um, but I think that we all can agree that the, the, the issue here primarily is the fact that there aren't enough 
uh, cars and teams on the grid, on the Formula One grid, because the idea behind the Formula Feeder series from F4 up to, or even Formula Renault, but F4 up to Formula One is to not just have one or two outstanding drivers and the rest go by the wayside. The idea is, is to have 22 outstanding, amazing Formula One candidates. But the problem is, is they're getting to that point where at least half of that grid is an outstanding qualifying F1 driver and they've got nowhere to go. And that is going to be an absolute tragedy because what is the point in these feeder series? What is the point in the work that Bruno Michel is doing that his team, you know, F3 and F2, what is the point? And I think that this is um, why that, you know, the powers that be uh, Stefano Dominicali has now taken a step into uh, the feeder series, a bit more of a, a presence over the last few weeks. You know, we, we held a press conference, there was a press conference just a couple of weeks ago, you know, with him in it, with Bruno and Michael Massey explaining you know about these feeder series and explaining about the drivers and it's it's even between the lines read between the lines you know read that press conference you can see that they they need these drivers to be getting into f1 and they want these drivers to be getting into f1 there's got there's room for everybody if there's more teams on the grid there's room for alonso to come back from retirement there's room for kim kimmy to hang around 500 years you know there's, there's room for people to switch teams and there's room and there should be room for rookies to come in as well yeah and i suppose the consolation is that next year teams will be well they be, they'll be mandated to um allow rookie drivers let's say or young drivers to be involved um in practice sessions in official practice sessions so if you've got like oscar piastri who doesn't end up with a seat alping will want to field in for a couple of sessions or a few sessions during the year or somebody else like um who else is in part of uh, alpine's academy i think christian lungard is isn't he at some um, alt but i don't see him in formula one at the moment he hasn't performed well enough in f2 in the last couple of seasons i think his mindset is more on indycar but it's just i've already said this so many times there isn't enough seats in formula one and this is what you know i know there's a thing with porsche and audi possibly coming in as at the very minimum engine manufacturers but that's not until 2025 or 26 when the new engine regulations come in i mean why should we have to wait another three years you know it just it kind of you know and the thing is by the time we get to the end of the next three years is the situation going to change or is it going to be the same as what it is now that's that's my only argument i don't know what you think of that will Well, in my personal opinion, um, my thing to Andretti is why are you trying to buy into Sauber? You probably have 350 million quid kicking about somewhere, giving you one of the richest companies on the earth. So why don't you uh, get your own team in there? You've got the budget. Uh, you know how to run a team. You know how to run a successful IndyCar team. You know how to run a successful Formula E team. Um, Extreme E, I believe they're in as well. So it's not like they're, they're short of anything. Um, that Panthera F1 project that don't hear anything from them anymore because they did not have the budget and I assume COVID hit them very, very bad. Um, and some of the teams that we've missed out on um, coming into Formula One because of the uh, the different regulations and stuff, it's just time for Formula One to turn around and say, right, this budget cap, we're putting it down to, I think it's going down, is it 135 million, Tom? 
Is that the 140 million next year, 135 from 23 to 25? Yeah. So it it's not exactly like teams are as bad as they used to be. It's not like Ferrari spending 400 million a year like they used to. They're capped at 145. Whether we believe that they're actually going by that, like whether there's nothing behind the scenes in terms of their funding their their road cars a bit more using the extra cash. I know they're going to Le Mans. Uh, for the hypercar project and stuff. So it's just a case of making sure that these drivers are funded, making sure they're looked after, and making sure they get to Formula One. Ultimately, we want to see Piastri. We want to see Porcher. Realistically, is Alessio De Leder ever going to get to Formula One? I doubt it, but he's certainly got some cash behind him. So stranger things have happened in Formula One. Yeah, I mean, I'll just throw Giovanni Lavaggi, Alex Young, uh, Thomas Enger. Although Thomas Enger was actually a decent driver in Formula 3, the Paris, and he was a runner-up. He did win it, win the championship at first and then lost points due to uh, one of the rounds where I think he actually tested positive for cannabis. Um, I think it was in Hungary, actually, in 2002, when he was fighting for the title with the likes of Sebastian Bardet and Giorgio Pantano. So, yeah, that's one of those stories which you don't hear it too often. But that was a long time ago anyway. But we've had a lot of drivers over the years who have come in with, a pot of cash, but not exactly, you know, talented as a lot of the drivers coming up through Formula 3000 back in those like, like Bruno Junquera. Um, Jorg Muller. Jorg Muller was, in fact, the first ever Formula 3000 driver, or the first Formula 3000 champion, I should say, to never ever make it to Formula 1, it, despite actually testing from numerous teams. So that's the dilemma. That's, it, it's, it's, a, it's an embarrassment to the feeder series or when you see a driver that wins a championship but not ever going to Formula One. It just makes a complete mockery. Well, Nick DeVry, you know, and, and he was in contention for that alpha seat at one point. I think it was the alpha seat. And he was in the, the paddock, you know, a couple of races back, the F1 paddock. And it kind of felt like it might have been swaying in his direction. And then it's shifted again. Yeah, you know. You know, about Nick, I think it was actually for, Mer for Williams because of Mercedes. But I don't know if you read what he said. I think it was actually him, the one that took the decision of not making it to Formula One. Because he said, I want to be in a competitive team. I just won Formula E and I won Formula Two, like two years before. He said, if I'm not in Formula One to compete and to win, I don't want to be on like the low teams. It's not about making it to Formula One. It's about winning. And I think that's how every driver should think, to be honest. Mm. I mean, there's so many drivers going for the same goal um, and only a fair few are going to be put into seats anyway. I mean, if you know, if you had three more teams in there, therefore six more seats, okay, you're going to see a, a, a batch of drivers coming but in. But it wouldn't be exclusive anymore. It would just be like Formula 3 or IndyCar. I mean, they're nice categories, but they're not like aspirational because in a way there's more openings that people don't go like oh this is my goal it's like oh i can actually make it here you know mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's obviously um opportunity in formula e obviously we've seen formula two drivers like oliver Rowland go to there we've had nick defries go to formula e as well although to be honest he should be in formula one had there been another seat available but that's just the problem um, we'll go on to another story. We'll stick with the Alfa Romeo side of things, but it's to do with Andretti as they are linked to the F1 move through a takeover of Sauber. Now, 
Andretti is reportedly set to take over the Sauber organisation that runs the Alfa Romeo Formula One team. During the Turkish Grand Prix weekend, it emerged that Michael Andretti's hopes of fielding a team in F1 have taken a step closer, with reports suggesting he is closing in on a deal that would see him take a majority stake in Sauber's controlling company worth up to 80%. According to Racer, further talks with Sauber are set to take place during the United States Grand Prix weekend in two weeks' time. Other reports say that should the deal go through for 2022, Andretti Autosports' IndyCar star Colton Herter could occupy the second drive at the team alongside Valtteri Bottas, though he lacks the required super license points. Up until now, Formula 2 frontrunner Guan Yu Zhou has been the favourite to take the vacant seats, replacing Ferrovat Antonio Giovinazzi. When asked about the potential takeover in Istanbul, Alfa Romeo team principal Freddy Vassil remained tight-lipped on the subject. I can say nothing because honestly, it's not in my parameter, Vassil said. I'm the CEO and team principal, and these kind of discussions are not with me. It would be with the shareholders. We have so many rumours, and so on that, you'd have to ask the question to the shareholders of the company. Andretti has run a successful IndyCar team over the last three decades, winning five carts or IndyCar drivers' titles and six Indy 500 races since 1993. Former F1 driver Roman Grosjean recently signed a deal to race for Andretti Autosport in the 2022 IndyCar series, following his rookie campaign this year with Dale Coyne Racing. So, yeah, um, that's another name you could throw in there. Um, Will, we'll start off with you with this one. Um, Colton Herter, very talented driver in IndyCar, but there's only one thing standing in his way, licence points. And the fact that I don't think he'd want to move to Formula 1, to be honest, because he's doing pretty well in IndyCar as it is. Um, but no, no offense, but if I if I had the option of um, sitting at the back of the grid in a uh, Alfa Romeo Andretti car or fighting at the front in an Indy car, uh, I think I know which I I, I choose. Um, the likes of Callum Eilat, um going over to the states, Roman Grosjean, I think Kevin Magnussen in the Inza series, they're all going over there not because it's the pinnacle of motorsport or because they, the 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 um, esteem of it, they're going to win because that's what racing drivers do. They want to win. And I don't think I could see realistically any of the IndyCar grid except some of the younger ones going over to Formula One. Um, in terms of Andretti coming into Formula One, everyone's quite excited about it. Everyone's loving the idea of seeing Andretti back in back in Formula One. I think the last time we saw the name Andretti in Formula One was 93 when Michael actually drove himself before he got kicked out by McLaren in favour of Hakkinen. Um so it's, in my opinion, it's just sort of one of those things. Oh, it would be pretty cool to see Andretti take over Alfa Romeo. They, when they leave, Peter Sauber would probably inevitably buy it back again, like he did the last time he sold his team. Um, back in 2009, I think he bought it back from BMW. So I would prefer Andretti, as I said uh, earlier, just to bring in a full-time operation, grab uh, do, do the Aston Martin tactic, really, and grab as many different personnel you can from other teams because you know that they have talent and they believe in the project. So, yeah, um, if Andretti come into Formula 1 with Sauber and Alfa Romeo, yeah, it would be pretty cool. But am I on the edge of my seat thinking, oh, really excited to see Andretti in Formula 1? Not particularly because it's it, it's Alfa Romeo. It's going to be the same design, most likely, unless um, Andretti do have a serious sort of we want to control the, uh, parts of this livery here. But, so, yeah, I just see it as, as the Alfa Romeo team and the same team, just with a different name on it. 
Mm-hmm. LA, um, just some facts about um, Colton Herter. I think he's currently on 32 license points in the last three years. And he's been involved in his junior career. He was holding the US F2000 Championship and then Indy Lights, which is like the feeder series to IndyCar. And in only his third race in IndyCar, he became the youngest driver to win in the series. I think it was 19, I think, at the time when he won in Austin for him, uh, for them. And he also won the last race of this year in, um, oh, where was the last race again? It was at Long Beach, wasn't it? Um, the season finale. But yeah, um, a talented driver. I've seen him many times racing IndyCar and he's a proven talent, but is he worth the Formula One? I don't know. You know, I mean, he's sort of homegrown in that kind of sport, isn't he? And, and would he fit in? Would he suit Formula One? And, you know, how familiar with, with it all is he? Because it's relatively new, even though we have had races over years, over the decades in the USA. It's never been a permanent fixture as such. Um, he is a talented driver. He is a name that, that does crop up even online. You just see his name trending. But don't forget, we have Logan Sargent coming up through the feeder series if we're looking at an American driver, you know, that's coming up already, you know, ma- making strides towards b- being in Formula One. Um, there is a big, massive uh, discussion at the moment about having more American drivers in Formula One and somebody like Andretti coming into it will absolutely encourage that to happen um, if they can bring their own drivers great fantastic um, I mean it's, it's a bit of excitement from an old school point of view you know it's an, it's a, it's, it's an established name it's a well-known name and it still is he's managed to you know maintain his brand and, and expand that brand even into food items and vineyards in Napa Wine Valley that I might have maybe have stumbled across at one point um, for some wine tasting but um, yeah it's a bit exciting but I totally agree with Will I don't know I don't think we may be privy to know what it takes to be a racing team or be a person with a lot of money to then get into Formula One, to have a Formula One team. I think there's red tape. I think there's politics. There has to be, because there was the rumoured story that um, Nikita Mazapan's father was obviously, you know, bringing his own son up through the ranks of high tech, wanted to propel high tech into Formula One as a team. What was the money behind it? was the person behind it and they couldn't it couldn't happen it didn't happen uh high tech for some reason the the, the, deal, the deals weren't happening the situation wasn't happening and i don't know if it was because of what they have to do or what hoops they have to jump through to get into formula one as a team which is a shame because obviously he wanted his son to continue with high tech into formula one didn't happen so then he chose has you know and went through that that door instead um and then and and high tech have now you know got themselves a formula four team instead so i think ollie oaks probably has a lot of ambition for his team i'm sure he'd really love to have a formula one team i don't know you know we have to ask him but um <laughs> but it's a shame that when there is a team like high tech floating around the feeder series why can't they be a formula one team what's the problem what do what do we not know that that what that it takes to be a formula one team so yes andretti mario come on get your own cars on the grid we need more cars on the grid i suppose as well one potential team i would mention is one that's been left out of next season's f3 uh, team sheet and that's hwa as van on the spot racing have taken its place 
Now, considering that HWA have an affiliation with Mercedes, could that open a door maybe for Mercedes to want to run a junior outfit in Formula One? They've got the budget to do it, but is it worth it? I personally think that'd be amazing. You know, I've, I've, um, I'm, I'm sort of a, an acquaintance of Nicola Palacci over at HWA. They're a fantastic team, fantastic personnel, fantastically run. Um, and uh, yeah, they do have the association with Mercedes, obviously. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. Wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't that be good? Then they can help bring people up as well. But they'd need a secondary team on the grid. Don't just use Mercedes. Yeah. Um, Manana, obviously with Andretti, um, an American, American backed team, um, linked up with the Sauber team, looking to take over the Sauber organization um, up to like an 80% stake, I think it mentioned. Um, how do you think that'll help out, well, what is currently Alfa Romeo? How do you think it'll help the team going forward in the years to come, not just um, next year? I really hope that something like what happened with Williams can arrive to Alfa Romeo. I mean, it used to be such an important team and it's one of the oldest teams in Formula One as well. I would love to see them get back on top or at least at the middle of the grid, you know? And I feel that, I mean, Williams has proved to us that all you need in a Formula One team is money. Williams was even worse than Alfa Romeo last season. And I mean, Nicholas Latifi and George Russell are killing it with what they can and with what they have this season. So it'd be so nice to see more competitive teams. And instead of separating the whole grid in like top teams, middle teams and low teams, just have two separations, you know, top and middle or no separations at all. A little bit of healthy competition has never hurt nobody. So I would love to see a team as classic as Alfa Romeo go back on top. So, yeah. yeah. And bearing in mind, throwing in there the BMW Sauber days, um, when Robbie Kubica and Nick Heifel, that was that was a pure partnership for me um, until BMW pulled out of Formula 1 together, which was a massive, massive shame. And of course, the days of Sauber, you know, with the Petronas days. And the, of course, the first couple of years when they were in Formula 1 in 93 and 94, the Sauber Mercedes partnership, which goes back even before then of the Sauber Mercedes days in sports cars. So Sauber has been, a, has been around as a, as a team, as an outfit of any sort, whether it's in the sports car championship or what that's known as the world endurance championship or formula one or even you know the sort of junior teams like the sober junior team by Sharus. um that's you know a name has been around um i don't know what andretti will bring in but hopefully it's the beginning of something new um in the years to come so maybe they'll get their experience peter sauber will buy the team back and then mario will then create a new Formula One team. Who knows? That'd be good, wouldn't it? But there's supposed to be further talks uh, in Austin, I believe, you know, between Andretti. The, I'm not saying Mario personally, I'm sure he'll be there, but, you know, whoever controls all that side. Uh, so there might be more news once we've had the Austin race on all of that. But don't forget, he does have that connection, doesn't he? Because he did drive for them, um, I think, during his career. I don't know what year that was, but I, I'm pretty sure he has the driver connection. Does, does Will know? Do you know? Um, so the head of the, the the person who'll probably be controlling it all was Michael Andretti, um, and he drove with them in 1993. Uh, he drove with McLaren in 1993. Yeah, I know for a fact that um, I doubt uh, I doubt with the way that partnership ended uh, all the way back. Obviously, it's a completely different team now. But um, if it was the same partnership with Ron Dennis, I doubt Michael Michael would be uh, interested in in looking to uh, go with McLaren anytime soon. 
I, I, I personally agree with that. And um, yeah, and just depends of the sort of foundation of which Andretti is going to sort of build um, from next year as well. So could it be the start of a, a new dynasty within the team, like Red Bull, perhaps? Uh, we'll wait and see further down the line. Um, we'll answer a question from someone and they're saying, should Red Bull keep the Honda livery to the end of the season? That's something we haven't discussed in this podcast, actually. It's the one-off livery that Red Bull had, um, had run in, uh, in, um, in Turkey. Um, and the reason why they brought this livery in is that the weekend would have been the Japanese Grand Prix weekend until that event ended up being cancelled. Um, so want your, we'll ask for your views on the livery first and uh, whether you'd want it on the Red Bull for the remainder of the campaign. We'll begin with, we'll begin with Minena this time. Yes, you know, I'm an aesthetic girl. Thank you. Okay, so <laughs> no, please don't. What the livery that should have stayed should have been the Golf McLaren, not the Honda livery. I mean, I liked it in the sense that it was different, you know, as to what we're expected to see Red Bull do. Do I think it's pretty? No. <laughs> so no, please take it off. <laughs> well, I think that's the whole purpose of a one-off livery. Um, LA, do you want to oppose that or do you want to agree with Minena? No, I concur. <laughs> I don't, I'm not a, a fancier of it. Um, I think one of the commentators over the weekend on Sky Sports um, uh, sort of mentioned something about it. It reminds them of Tipex. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? That's not a bad analogy. That is not a bad analogy by any means. And, and I'm not a big fan of white race suits either. You know, I, 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 even if uh, Mercedes go back to their silver arrow in another season, I'm kind of hoping the drivers stick to the black race suits because I'm just not a big fan of the white race suit. And I kind of feel like when they get sweaty and hot and dirty race suits, it, I don't know, just doesn't look great, does it? It's not a good look. So you don't like my look then with this with this uh, jacket or fleece or whatever you want. Oh no, are you sweating and full of oil? No, 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 I'm not. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to even, even if I did, I would keep that to myself. Um, I'm will stand up, turn around. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not doing it during the podcast. No way, no way, am I not doing that? Um, will um, should the Red Bull? Well, it's it's a bit of a um, a fancy question this one uh, from the person that sent me the question. But sh do you think Red Bull should keep the one-off livery or just revert back to the traditional? Well, I'm going to disagree with the uh, the two girls here in saying that I actually quite like delivery. Um, I must admit, it's it's different. Um, I have always been a fan of either ice white or matte black. Uh, I don't know why. There's just something about the two colours, the, the simplicity of it. You've got all this different colour range and the colour palettes nowadays. It's nice to stick with the, the simplistic, dark or light colours. Um, should I think they... Do I think they should keep it? No. Uh, and the, the whole reason is that is um, what makes a special livery special is the fact that it's not regular. It's not something we see every time. We don't look back um, at the uh, Marlborough liveries of McLaren in the past because they're still on the grid. They're in the past. They happened uh, for quite a few years, but they're iconic and they're gone. Something we can look back on. Uh, Ferrari last year, their one-off livery, we had Mercedes in 2019, uh, obviously McLaren earlier this season. McLaren is the one, um, what's the word, the one difference I would make in terms of that rule, because I did really like the, the Golf McLaren. I think it will be a good uh, opportunity to have another one of those iconic liveries. But with Red Bull, on the other hand, it's a one-off. It's a goodbye to Honda. It's thank you for the last few years. 
but we've got our own brand to uphold here. We've got the Red Bull colours to uphold. And I think it's just something we should look back. That was nice, but it's gone. So look back on it, have it on your bedroom wall if you want, uh, have it on a pin board, but it's not coming back. So don't hold your breath. Yeah. And of course, Red Bull have run a lot of different um, one-off liveries during their time in Formula 1. I've seen the sort of um, montage of it, actually. Uh, we begin with the sort of Star Wars livery, for the 2005 Monaco Grand Prix. And that was a, a way to promote the third episode, Revenge of the Sith, that was being released that year. The following year, it was called Superman Returns. So uh, that was, of course, we all remember Christian Horner's dip in the ball in the Superman cape. Of course, he, I'm sure he probably doesn't forgive the team for uh, making him do that if a driver did finish on the podium, which David Coulthard did so that day. Uh, there was the Wings for Life one, 2007, Silverstone, where they had like thousands and thousands of pictures of Formula One fans sticked onto the um, Formula One car, which was very nice. There was Coulthard's sending off livery as well from Formula One in Brazil, 2008, although he didn't get that far in that one. Um, other ones, 2012 Silverstone was a similar one uh, to what they had in 2007, I think, as well. And of course, the pre-season testing ones, the camouflage and the other ones, which I can't remember the exact name for. But Red Bull has run a different um, set of uh, one of the three um, during the course of their time. I'm sure the one in Turkey won't be their last. So all I would say to Honda is Arigato and good luck for the rest of the season. And we will miss you after the season has finished. But I'm sure, I'm sure in my own mind, they will return at some point. So that's my, uh, that's, yeah, that's my feelings for Honda right now. I'm sure they would love to have been racing the Suzuka, but sadly that wasn't possible for this year. Now, um, just to run down on Turkey before we do end the show, maybe a bit of the US that's coming up um, in just under a couple of weeks. Will, how does the championship sit for you at the moment? I mean, is it just pretty much before it was in Turkey, except that the tables have turned between Lewis and Max? Oh. It's um, just as close as it was, uh, obviously two points and six points. Um, there's a difference, but uh, Lewis wins the next race. He takes the lead uh, back in the championship. No doubt about it, because even if Max finishes um, finishes second uh, and, and takes the fastest lap, they'll still be on, on par. Obviously, I think Max would um, still retain the lead on count back, but realistically, the odds of that happening in terms of Lewis winning the race and, and Max definitely scoring the fastest lap, uh, we can't confirm that. We can't confirm who will be fastest in Texas. Um, so many people turning around and saying Lewis has won five of the last eight races in, in Texas, whereas Max, uh, I think he stood on the podium in 2017 initially, and then it had it, he would, it was taken off him in the cooldown rule, uh, which he wasn't very happy about from uh, from my memory to say the least. But even still, um, my personal favouring is that I genuinely don't know. Uh, it's a close season, and I love that, to be honest with you. I genuinely, the next time I write a report or or take a look at a Grand Prix, I do not know what I'm going to be writing because it is just that close, and Formula One needs this kind of season to round out such an iconic era. Mm -hmm. um, Manena, we've just done Turkey now. Bottas picking up that victory, of which was overdue over the course of the season, but I think now he's picked up the form that we've been looking looking for him in the last few rounds. Um, Austin, a track that Lewis has won five times at, as Will's just mentioned. Um, Red Bull have only won there once with Sebastian Vettel in 2013. Are Mercedes going to have it their, all their own way um, in Austin at the weekend, or do you think it's going to be very much just a typical Lewis versus Max battle? No, I mean, Mercedes can definitely, you know, reign in Austin. I mean, 
there's certain tracks for certain teams. And I feel Austin is very good for Mercedes because it's a, you know, more like steep, like you were saying, but it's like a track circuit. It's not a street style. So I do think that Mercedes can reign, but Max Verstappen has proved to us this season that he's won so many races in which he had never won before or he had never ended on the podium. He is so hungry to become world champion this season that I do think maybe he can win Austin for the first time. I mean, this season has been so unpredictable that literally anything can happen. Who knows? We could see Esteban Ocon winning another race. I mean, I don't know. So anything can happen in Austin, especially yeah. this season in Formula One. I mean, I personally think that it will be a dry race in Austin, which I'm, I think some fans will be hoping for. Um, LA, the United States Grand Prix in Austin, obviously the US has held many different races, uh, well, many races in different venues, but with Austin, um, it's something else. It's, it's a challenge with the sort of hill climbs, the undulation and everything else around the track. There's a lot of on-camera corners as well where drivers can complete overtakes that. Where, where are you putting your money on for this um, US Grand Prix for 2021? Yeah, it definitely has favoured Lewis, hasn't it? You know, of, of any driver, he's he's very successful there. And I also feel like it's not just a track that suits him. Um, he, he loves the States. You know, he's very closely connected with the States and has a house over there and whatever. And he usually goes a few days before, you know, appears on TV shows, um, you know, gets the adulation that, that he rightly deserves, where he doesn't seem to get that around the rest of the world. Or the adoration, should I say? Um, and then I feel I feel that he goes into those sort of two back-to-back -back races in in a really lovely, relaxed frame of mind where he feels good about himself. He's allowed to feel good about what he's done and what he's achieved, you know. Um, so you know, maybe it's not just the car or just the circuit in these situations where he succeeds. You know, as we all know, the the power of the mind, <laughs> positive mental attitude. So I feel that if he has a good lead up, a good build up again to the race, then, you know, then he'll definitely succeed. Um, but if him and Max are in P1 and P2, then I do not want, I want to touch some wood, even though I'm not superstitious, but might they have a coming together at the first turn at the top of that hill? Mm -hmm. To me personally, if they're in P1 and P2, it's very highly likely that they will uh, because um, the way you can turn in on each other at the top of that hill and you'll both be neck and neck, I think they're going to come together. Yeah, uh, I think strategy will come into it. Um, I don't, I can't remember what the, um, com the uh, compounds for Austin. I would imagine there'll be something like C2, C3 and C4, the same as what we had in Turkey, but we'll look at that um, in next week's show. We'll leave it there, everyone. Thank you to all of those being for listening to today's um, podcast of Motorsport Speak. Um, next week, Joe Ellis, Tom Featherston and Vicky Merrick will be with me to preview the United States Grand Prix in Austin. From Will, LA, Manena and all of us at Motorsport Week, it's goodbye. Bye.